down Are they gonna bail you out Or just run you around They said you should have a house The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 531 of the Survival Podcast. It is October 14th. It is a Thursday. We're almost to the middle of October. Telling you guys, time is marching on, and it's up to you to be prepared for whatever may be coming. Um, today we're going to have a different show than usual. I'm going to talk to you today just from the heart about some things. I'm going to talk to you about your role in your own life. I'm going to talk to you about why everything we talk about won't work without certain things that you have to have going on in your soul, in your heart, and your spirit. Um not a religious show. Some people hear spirit and think that's what I'm talking about. Not really at all. Really about the individual. We're going to talk about what I believe is missing in the lives of most Americans and how without that component, nothing else you do is really going to change anything for you. I, I don't know how long this show is going to go today. It might go 20 minutes. Uh, it might go an hour. I, I really don't know. I don't have an outline. I've done a lot of research like I usually do. I haven't you know, prepared uh, a lot of stuff for the show. I actually had a show prepared for today and decided we'd shelve it till next week. Um, it's important once in a while that we do some self-examination, and I just feel compelled to speak about this stuff today, so that's what I'm going to do. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping item one, as always, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one, MERS-radio.com. That is M-U-R-S, a dash, the word radio, and a dot and a com. What is a MERS radio? MERS radio is a means of communication that's unlicensed, which means you don't need a license to utilize it. It's up to five channels, and then there's some sub-channels. I think there's five sub-channels, so there's 25 possible uh, frequencies that you can set your radios to broadcast at. They have a range of about two miles, but what they do that's really unique is they blend communications and security together in one. For instance, I have two handheld MERS radios. I have a base station that's always on, and then out on our property we have various um, motion detector uh, systems. These motion detectors operate on a sector basis, and the way that they work is simply that if somebody or something is moving around in a certain area on my property, it will send an alert back through the radio channel either to the base station or to the handheld, and it'll say, alert, sector one, alert, sector one, and I know something's going on out there. I don't know what, but I know to check on it, and I can have up to four sectors set up that way. So it's a great way to combine secondary communications on your property with security. Sponsor of the day number two today, Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems from Directive21.com. 21 that, .com, that is the Berkey guy. Um, I finally went ahead and bought a Berkey. Uh, and I bought it from the Berkey guy on our site, of course. I'm going to be doing a review of it for you guys on YouTube probably sometime next week once I get the Biltong thing out of the way. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm really impressed. I have decided that in spite of all the other methods of water filtration I have that are more designed for portable use, if you want a good water filtration system at home, the most economical and best system for the job is the Berkey system. They seem a little bit expensive, you know, a couple hundred bucks initially, but the filters in them will last for about 3,000 gallons of filter. That means a set, which is how you set them up with at least one set, will, will do 6,000 gallons of filtering. Um, you're looking at pennies per gallon at that point. With a water filter system, you need to look at the cost per gallon produced, not the initial system cost to really uh, come up with a with a you know the right way to judge cost. And it's the most economical thing out there. It also does an outstanding job, and it looks great in your home. So check out Berkey Light Water Filtration Systems and Berkey Water Filtration Systems with the Berkey guy. I'll tell you what. I really enjoy having this in my home now, and it's one more piece of self-sufficiency that we have available to us. 
Next up today, make sure you check out the gear shop. On the site right now at the survivalpodcast.com is an opportunity uh, to pre-order uh, a limited edition TSP Swiss Army Knife Trekkers. They are only going to be available for order until Monday next week, unless I can talk Sister Wolf into holding orders open until Friday next week. But either Monday or Friday next week, we will stop taking orders on them. We've had about 50 people order them so far. They are going to be a great knife. They're, just check out the post I did about them. There's a lot of things going for this knife as itself. And then it's a limited edition, custom engraved, TSP logo, the date 2010. And once they're done, they're done. We will never make any more of these trekkers uh, with this engraving on them. It's a limited edition, an affinity thing with the show, but a great everyday carry knife. So check those out. Uh, next up, remember, you can support the show at 20 cents an episode by joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Uh, a bunch of free videos, a bunch of free ebooks, discounts to a whole bunch of people, about 20 different vendors. And remember, we are doing a special show for episode 550. I need you to call 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. Leave your message of up to two minutes about what prepping self-sufficiency the survival podcast has meant to your life in the past couple of years. We want to do this like we did the one-year anniversary show. As I've said a few times, I'll put a link in today's show notes to that show so you can listen to it. Call in with a call, like the calls on that show, and let's make episode 550 an even bigger show than the one-year anniversary show. All right, with that, let's get into what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. I've I've been struggling to get two books completed, and this is why I'm struggling. And what I really need to do to be fair to everybody out there who's waiting on both of them is to pick one and stick with it until it is done and then go back to the other one, and it's very hard. One is the book on 22 rifle shooting, and, and that book is so close I really need to, to, to finish that. But I, I went into my manuscript on Modern Survival Philosophy, which is the, my, my primary book that I'll be putting out when it gets done. And I was reading one of my introductory chapters, and it was called What's Missing in the Lives of Most Americans. And as I was perusing that and you know, trying to determine which one of these books do I just commit to like a madman for the next 60 days to try to get to a point of completion where they're ready for editing and things like that, you know, and, and, and picture alignments and, and what have you. And... Which one I'm going to run with first, I really don't know right now. I'm in that struggle point, but when I read that chapter, I went, this is something I have to talk about on the show because it's something I don't talk about enough. And, you know, maybe what I could do is actually read some of that chapter to you right now. In fact, maybe just the first two paragraphs for now. And again, the chapter is, what is what's missing in the lives of most Americans? My real goal is to help America reclaim what it has lost, that self-reliant and self-sufficient spirit that transformed our country into the greatest nation on the planet. I want to reconnect with that can-do spirit that won two world wars, put men on the moon, and took a land considered to be a third world nation just a hundred years ago and made it into the world leader in just about every measurable way. Much has been lost in the past 50 years, and the loss seems to be accelerating. In fact, you may be reading this book and prepping specifically because you believe we are reaching a point of no return. I will be honest with you. As a nation of 300 million of what's-in-it-for-me mentality, you might be right. The key here, though, isn't changing 300 million. It's all about people and changing their own lives by choice, reclaiming freedom with action, and choosing a better life no matter how good or how bad times are. You simply can't tell your neighbor how to live. You damn sure can't tell your congressman how to live. But you and you alone choose how you are going to live from this day forward and forever. There are, of course, limitations to what you can and can't do. There are obstacles you will come across and even something's totally out of your control. Yet as long as you are breathing, no matter what happens, you still control how you react to it. What you do next and how you choose to be affected. No one has more impact over you than you. And that is it. That's the missing thing in our lives as most Americans today. It's not health insurance. It's not a color TV. It's not a new car. It's not a better job. It's not any of that crap. You know, I'm off the book now, by the way, even though it kind of goes on like that. It, it's, a, it's, it's a fundamental loss of, of individual responsibility, but not in the way that so many people say it in a condescending way. 
In fact, the very people that have lost it will often use that condescending way and not even be aware of what they're doing. What I mean is, this is the person that says, no, these, these kids today, this generation of millennials, man, they don't, they just think everything should be given to them and they don't, they don't work. And that's what you might think I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. The guy saying that, you know, and there is an entitlement attitude out there. I understand the problem with that, but it's root isn't the person with the attitude because there's millions of them. Its root is the person with the attitude that somehow because of that it lets me off the hook. Or the reason I don't have what I want is because of them. That's bullshit. And you don't have any room for it in your life. Anybody, when you hear somebody say, well, those damn Democrats, and to be fair, those damn Republicans... Or, oh, those freaking interest rates, if they would come down, maybe I can afford my payments again. My rate adjusted up. They put me in this position. You know? Ah, oh, my boss is just a dick. Right? Ah, oh, you know, they, they make me do things I don't want to... It doesn't matter what it is. It's anything that people come up with. Any variations thereof. If the government would just stop doing this. Or the government should do this. You know, the middle class just can't make it anymore. All of these statements, because you know what they do? They allow you to sit in a state of victimhood. And you might even be a prepper and think this way. You're doing all the stuff you need to do to survive, but you're also thinking, man, I just can't make it. My income level's too low. I can't do that like he did. I wish I could build a, a farm the way that this guy over here did, but he, he spent 300000 I don't have $300,000. This guy talks about getting out of debt, but I'm the one in $50,000 worth of debt. I don't know what to do about it. And on and on and on and on. And it all comes back to the same reason that we have that entitlement attitude in our younger generation because they're missing the same thing that we all seem to be missing today. An understanding that we control our own lives. And the reason I have to talk to you about this this, this to you today is I, I pour out everything I know about prepping and survivalism and homesteading. For everything from how to build a business to how to grow a garden. What to look out for, what's happening in the economy, what's going on in current events, uh, over and over and over. I get on here every day. But without this, you don't get anything. Because all you get to do is feel better about being miserable. And that is not what I want for my audience. I don't want my audience to feel better about being miserable. I want my audience to say, screw that, I'm not going to be miserable. You're not going to take what I have. I am not going to act in fear. I am not going to run off to some other place to hide. If I go somewhere other than where I am now, I do it because it's where I want to be, not because you made me run away and go there. We're not survivalists that run off into the middle of the mountain ranges of Montana and Utah and Wyoming, unless that's damn well where we wish to be as free men and women. And if it is, so be it, that's where we'll go. But damn it, if I want to stay here, I'll stay here. Or if I want to go to Arkansas, in my case, that's where I'm going to go. If I wanted to go to Georgia, screw it, I'm going to Georgia. I'll make my stand wherever the hell I want to be. Because if we can't do that, we don't have a damn thing. And all of the nonsense that's out there in our very own, you know, niche industry, whatever you want to call it, about, well, the only thing you can do is run away. My ass run away. If we all run away, who's left? And again, if we run away, we're still ignoring the fact that we control ourselves. Now, I'm not saying there are not points in times for a planned retreat because there's a fight you can't win. But it should be a fallback. A choice, at some point, I have to do this, and I'm ready to do this if I have to. But there should also be, most importantly, what do I want now? And not in the way that Madison Avenue presents that to you. It's a consumer-driven economy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Remember that from one of my early shows? The freaking Discover Card commercial? You know? Do you remember that? You know, maybe I should play that commercial for you. Give me a minute. Let me put that, let's see if I can find that and put that on for you. I don't know if I can. Hold on. Well, surprise, surprise. I went back through my show notes on the, on the site, found the episode I talked about it, and, and it's, it was an old episode. It was August 27, 2008. Don't even have a number for you, but it was Five Lies That Attack Individual Liberty was the show. 
been a really a fan favorite that show. Uh, but uh, somebody had put a link in the uh, show notes uh, in the comments to where this uh, commercial is, and surprise, it's gone. The user took it down. Discover Card actually had put it up on YouTube. They they were proud of this commercial, you see. And, and I'll give you a synopsis. The commercial was basically they show all these pretty people and all this pretty stuff, and they show people going up an escalator and lights coming on in a store shelf, and it says, it's a big world out there, and it's a consumer-driven economy. But there's nothing wrong with that. But with all this great stuff to buy, sometimes you can get in a little over your head. And it says, you know, what if there was a credit card that help, could help you save your money and find better ways to pay off your balance? And basically the point was, use your Discover card to get into debt, and that'll help you save money. And the, the thing was, the one line that just pissed, even the sheep seemed to wake up to this one, which is why Discover took it down. It's a consumer-driven economy, and there's nothing wrong with that. And people hated on this thing in their comment section. I mean, they just brutally hated on Discover Card. And because of that, I guess Discover took that commercial down. But if anybody can find it, I would love to, if you can find it on YouTube, if somebody else put it up, if there's anywhere you can find the audio from that commercial, let me know. I'd love to strip the audio out and play it on the air for you guys, because I can do that now. Um, and let you hear what a credit card company thought was a good idea for public relations. But my point was, see, that's the... That's the, damn it, I'm going to make my life better now attitude that's counterproductive. Making your life better today is not about spending what you don't have. It's not about, it's not about behaving foolishly. It's about immediately taking action towards the goal. So the goal might be, I would like to live outside of the city and have like four acres somewhere really cool. But you know, not everybody that listens to the show wants to homestead out in a rural environment. It might be, I'd love a really nice place at the edge of town that's in a historical area with a beautiful house and a great big backyard that I can turn into an urban homestead in the city. Or it might be, I, I want to uh, have $50,000 in, in, in emergency fund money saved up that's accessible in, in gold or silver or cash or whatever it is. But all of those are large goals. And having that goal... Now seems ridiculous if you think about it. If you have, if you're nowhere near started, if, even if you're break even, you, you don't have any debt, but you're just like you have a modest income, you, you rent an apartment or a house, or you have a little house somewhere in town and what have you, and you want something more than that. And right now you're just getting by. And it seems ridiculous to say that there's a way to have that now without deeply leveraged debt, but you don't get it now. It's not like tomorrow morning you wake up and there you are on your farm with 40 acres or, or that beautiful urban rooftop garden or whatever it is you want. That's not what I mean by have it. I mean have the plan in action now. See, here's the deal. This is going to be a little bit deep for some people, I think, but we're going to have to examine some stuff today to get right with ourselves so we can make all of the stuff we talk about happening happen. Every day, ships... Giant ocean-going ships loaded with cargo pull out of a port and they set sail on the high seas and they sail thousands and thousands of miles to another foreign port where they pull in and dock. And then they're unloaded and maybe reloaded and they set sail and either go back to their home port or to a t totally different port but eventually they end back to their home port and they repeat the process all over again. And barring an accident at sea, you know, a storm that, that ravages a ship, and even with storms they go around them, uh, barring the ship breaking down or being attacked by pirates, barring any of that stuff, 100% of the time, the ship that leaves, you know, a port in Tokyo to land in Los Angeles gets to Los Angeles. Why? Why does that ship always get to Los Angeles? When it leaves port... It knows where it's supposed to go. It knows how long it's supposed to take to get there. It has navigation equipment. It has a course and a plot laid in. And it has an ability to monitor its progress. And with that, the ship will get to L.A. Barring everything else, as long as it can still move, even if it takes longer than the original plan, it will get there. That will be where it ends up. But we don't run our lives that way. No, we run our lives with, oh, it'll get better, things will pick up. I don't know how many small-time entrepreneurs I talk to during hard times. Like, yeah, well, it'll be okay when things pick up. What do you mean when things pick up? 
You know, what do you mean when times get better? What the hell do you mean? If you don't have an active role in that, you're just going to wait. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, and then things will get better around me, and a rising tide floats all boats. The tide does always, you know, sooner or later, tides come in. They also go out. Tides go out sometimes once a day, sometimes twice a day. Sometimes high tides are really high. Sometimes high tides are barely any different than slack tide or mid tide. Sometimes you barely know it's high tide. Sometimes you barely know it's low tide. Sometimes it's so low that you can walk, you know, where the water just a few hours ago would have been over your head. You're walking on solid dry land, at least moist land. This is how everything around us works. Because the economy doesn't mean as much to us as we think it does. Because there are people that when the economy was great, you know, when the Dow was at like 14,000 and everybody was happy and everybody thought George Bush was a genius, right? There was a time when, when the Dow was at like 12,000, but it, it was a different time and, and it was good to be at 12,000. Everybody thought Bill Clinton was a genius, And during those two times, there were people whose personal economy was screwed. They were dead broke, couldn't find a job, and living miserable. Some of those people that in one or the other times was completely miserable and was completely on their face in debt and, and no prospects of anything good are in good shape today, while other people who were doing great back then are miserable. See, the economy is more about the, the grand scope That's so what we look at the grand scope of things with the economy. But individually, it doesn't really affect us. Because we can be just as miserable as, as, as people are now when the economy is great. And we can be just as happy and successful when the economy is bad as many people are when the economy is good. It's all about us as individuals. That doesn't mean that you, know, you didn't work at a plant for 15 years and give them everything you had. And in this downturn got laid off. And that you're not, you're not somehow uh, caught up in, in that massive overall flow. But once you're laid off, now you've got to figure out what you're going to do. It's not that I don't feel for you. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I'm a callous ass and I'm going, hey, I'm doing great. What's wrong with you? It's not like that. It's you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Because if you don't, you're just going to drift. And you're going to wait for the tide to come in. And right now it's out, and it might be out for a damn long time. And when the tide goes out, it's not time to fish, but it is time to gather. You know, when the tide's high, that's when you fish. When the tide goes out, that's when you walk out into the shallows and you look for everything that's left. You pick it up and you make something out of it. It's when you collect shells. The tide's out right now, but that exposes so much. It exposes opportunity. It exposes weakness. Do you know how many companies are making record profits today that are not direct recipients of the bank? I know the banks got the bailout money, and if you gave me a few billion dollars with no interest on it, I could give it back to you a few years later, and I could have sucked off Treasury debt interest with it, and I could have reestablished myself and cleaned everything out, wrote everything out, and then said, look how great I'm doing. I'm not talking about those companies. Do you know how many companies that didn't get bailout money are kicking ass right now? Do you know why? Because the economy's recovering? No. It's a false recovery. And it's gaining momentum. I've, I'm, I'm just about to beat Mike Gazer's prediction. I had Mike Gazer on the show. Very, very intelligent financial guy. But remember what I said about a false recovery with him? He said, nah, it's done. It's over. It ain't happening. He said that the high point of the rebound of the stock market, it already happened. I hope you got out then if you didn't get out before, and it's over. We're almost back there. We're within a couple hundred points of the last rally, and I think we're going to blow through it. If the Dow hits 12,000, watch people go freaking crazy with euphoria. It's not going to mean anything. But there are companies, public and private, kicking ass. Why? When the recession came. They cut workers. They fired people. They laid people off. But did they lay off their most productive workers? A few did. Okay, because some companies shut down divisions. And maybe the top 10% of the people in that division were a huge loss to that company. But overall, they shed what was bleeding. And now they've got the most efficient people left who are working their asses off because they're afraid to lose their job 
And companies are making money today. How long that's going to last? I don't know. But what does it say? It says that these companies that are doing this today took the opportunity of a recession to cleanse themselves of things that were holding them back. Not to say anything negative about the individual person. But again, if you're part of a division that's lost money for five years in a row, and the economy tanks, and my other divisions can't prop you up anymore, you've got to go. And if I don't have a place to plug you into my profitable divisions I'm keeping, you got to go. Sorry, it's not personal. It's business. It's impersonal. That's part of the, the harshness of the world. Most things are impersonal. They're not about you. But we live in a world where we think it's about us. We can't do that. And if you're asking yourself right now, is this guy talking about modern survivalism today? You bet your ass I am. Because what we talk about is how to survive and thrive, how to live that better life. If times get tough or even if they don't, well, times are tough. Are you living that better life? And if you're not, are you blaming somebody else for it? If you are, you have to stop now. If you aren't, great. Don't fall back in the trap. Because I find myself falling back into that little antlion trap every freaking day. There's an interesting little critter we can talk about, an antlion. Many of you may not know what an antlion is. I don't know the proper name for these creatures, but they're a creature that feeds on ants. And since we're supposed to be ants, that should be something we take an interest in. We also used to call these things doodlebugs. And I've only ever seen them in Florida. I'm sure they exist elsewhere, but I always saw them in Florida. And they always were in places where the soil was very sandy and loose and light. The stuff you could pick up when it was dry in the wind and let it go and it would just fly. And they would build this little cone. right? It was a little like a little hole in the ground, but it was shaped like a cone. And the little antlion would sit right at the bottom of this cone. And this thing eventually morphs into some kind of a fly or something like that. This is the larval stage. And all you would see at the bottom of the cone are these two little things sticking up. And those were kind of the jaws of the antlion. Little bitty critter, about as long as the average large ant, not like a fire ant, but a large ant about as long, but wider and thicker. Big, strong, mean creature. And a little ant would be walking along, and he would come across this little pit that didn't look anything at all like it was threatening. And if he would go just barely over the side to the inside, because the dirt was so loose the way the antlion made his little home, that he would start to struggle. And as he would struggle the dirt would fly away beneath his little ant feet and he would start to fall toward the center. And the ant lion sitting in the bottom would literally spit dirt at the ant and hit him with it and hit him with it and keep hitting him with it, keep driving him down till he got to the center. And once he got to the bottom of that hole, that ant lion would latch onto his legs and then take another bite and grab him by his mid-body and thorax and you just see that little ant under the ground and he was dead. But some ants never ended up in the bottom of the hole. Hell, we were kids. We were cruel. We would catch ants and stick them in there to see what would happen. And some of them would just fight their asses off until they got out of that hole. And you would think the harder you struggle, the worse it gets. But the, the ant that didn't struggle really hard always ended up in the bottom of the hole. The one that said, screw it, I'm going to get the hell out of here. They got out. Of course, we were jerks. We put them back in again. You know, throw them further down. That's, you know, there are certain things outside of your control. But I think for a lot of us, We let life hand us things that are that little funnel, that little excuse funnel, where the antlion waits at the bottom for us. And once we go in to just a, and that's what I was saying, just a little bit of victimology for ourselves. And I find myself doing it, ah, oh, shit, I don't like this, or oh, I wish I didn't have to deal with that, or whatever. And as soon as you open up that, that box, then everything starts to tumble out of it. And next thing you know, you're in that cone, And you start making another excuse and another excuse and you start going farther and further and further and further down toward the bottom. And the bottom sucks. The bottom is bankruptcy. The, the bottom is a destroyed relationship. The bottom is a lost house. The bottom is permanent unemployment. The bottom is a life on welfare. The bottom sucks. But just like the ant, we can struggle to get out. But every time we make an excuse, it's like that antlion shooting the dirt at us and hitting us in the back of the head making us fall further backwards. There can be no excuses on the way out of the little trap. It has to be headlong, one thing, out, 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 with that attitude. And anything else, you're going to end up at the bottom of the hole. 
And unfortunately for many of us, we end up at the bottom of many holes throughout our life. And the more we're in, the, the more we have to extricate ourselves, and the more victimology we apply to ourselves, and the worse we make it. I do talks, I get in front of groups, and they say, but I have a, a, a very modest income. Oh, I live on disability. Oh, I don't care. You can't do everything, and neither can I. I can't do everything. You know, I can't do everything we talk about. I have to pick and choose what makes sense for my life, and I do that. But everything we do should be designed so that once it's done, it's not like we spent money and it's gone. It's been invested, and it created self-sufficiency in that one little bubble. And we'll create another little bubble of self-sufficiency. And eventually, no matter how little you have, you have more than you did before. You have more in reserve. And then you can start applying that to another level of self-sufficiency and another level of self-sufficiency. I hear from people, well, I only get $1,500 a month on disability. I'm sorry. Is there any way you can make more? Or how do you leverage that $1,500 to do more for you? Do you know, we are a group of people, a nation of immigrants, where most of our families came here with nothing, nothing at all. And there was no infrastructure here, not compared to what it is today. We didn't have a highway system until the 50s. We had rural state highways everywhere. We didn't have a real interstate, state, interstate highway system until Eisenhower got behind building one in the 50s. So what do you think it was like in 1900, 1880, whenever your parents, and your, 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 not your parents, but your great-grandparents or your grandparents or your great-great-grandparents or whoever came here? What do you think that those people would say to you? And okay, fifteen hundred dollars a month. Let's say nineteen hundred. If you if you told them, well, I only get ten dollars a month from the government. That's all I get, and that's all I have. They'd ask you what the hell you were crying about, and say you should be grateful you have that. That's more than a lot of people make that work a job. We can't live in a place where we, we look at whatever we do have and we complain about what we have. And we can't live in a way where we look at what we don't have and complain about what we don't have. We have to live an attitude, a lifestyle where we are grateful for what we have and we seize what we don't. If we want something and it's not there, then we take it. That's not about theft. That's about a belief that we can and should have the things that we want. People think that's selfish. You're a selfish person if you believe you, you deserve what you want. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's not selfish to believe you deserve the things that you want. There's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, I don't get biblical often with people. I really don't. And I don't preach to people. And I'm, I'm not your conventional organize, organized religion person. I'm actually very outside of that sphere. But I do see the wisdom... And I, and I have a great appreciation for the moral compass that comes out of Christianity and Judaism. And, of course, the Ten Commandments. There's nothing in the Ten Commandments that said, you shouldn't have what you want. If you want something and you go make it, you go create it, you go get it for yourself, you're wrong. This is not to covet what somebody else has. And that means that it's wrong to want something because someone else has it, or to believe you don't have it because someone else has it. Those are the things that are morally wrong. When you believe I can have what I want without taking it from somebody else or without making an excuse because somebody else has more, I can't have what I want. When you break free of that, that's a moral, decent way to live. It's also the only way that's going to make you freaking happy, man. It really is. Nothing else is going to make you happy. A lot of you folks that don't make a lot of money, that live a poverty-level lifestyle, you think that if I give you more money, it would fix everything. Well, I was you, and then I made a lot of money. And a lot of money, you know what it made me? More miserable. I looked happy. I pretended to be happy. I seemed happy. I wasn't. I ended up in debt. Lots of it. I ended up straining my marriage by being away from home all the time. I ended up having to drag my family 1,500 miles across the country only to turn around and drag them back 1,500 miles back to where we came from. You know, and I had a second run with money. And it took people that I was very close to and it made me dislike them because it was all about more, 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 more. 
when I quit, just quit in my head, trying to appease anybody but me. And said, I will do what I most want to do all the time. Now, that doesn't mean that I disregard the needs or wants of my wife or my son or the people around me, because what I most want includes them. When you do what you want to the exclusion of everybody around you, including those you love, that's being selfish. When you do what you most want with the inclusion of the people that you want in your life, that's actually living in a very, very selfless way. But it results in your happiness. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. You would think the selfish person just did whatever the hell they wanted would end up happy. That person will be the most miserable son of a bitch on the planet. They'll end up alone, and no matter how much they have or don't have, they will not be happy. With the person that does what they most want, with the inclusion of the people that they want with them, that person ends up achieving great things. They may not achieve great things in the way that somebody will build a statue of them or write about them in a book, but in their life, they will achieve real happiness. And more than happiness, contentment. And that person will almost inevitably become self-sufficient, self-reliant, in one way, form, or shape, or another. Because in all of us is a desire for that. It's very hard for us to be content if we have to rely on anybody else for anything else. What is the first thing a little kid does once they sort of learn to tie their shoes? Right? Little toddler. Finally, like, mommy tie my shoes, mommy tie my shoes, daddy tie my shoes, right? You know, it's a game. You know, they sort of can do it. But then the first time they actually do it and it works and it, and they get that feeling, I did it for myself. You know, but it takes them like five minutes to tie two freaking shoes. And you're trying to get them out of the house because you're going to church or school or whatever. And what do they say when you try to do it for them? No, I want to do it myself. And not just tying How many of you with little kids or nieces or nephews or been around little kids, little kids, you know, before kindergarten level, two, three, four years old, how many of you have heard them say innumerable times, I want to do it myself? Who teaches them that? Does the parent sit down with that little two-year-old, three-year-old kid every day and go, listen, Johnny, listen, Timmy, listen, Tammy, whatever their name is, you want to do it yourself. You want to do it. Do they, they drill that into them? Or is the parent actually usually, especially with a firstborn, trying to hang on to doing this stuff because I don't want them to grow up. They're little. I like them this way. And the kid all by themselves says, no, I want to do it myself. At an age where they don't even know the freaking alphabet and probably can't count to ten. They haven't been to school. They probably have had books read to them, but they're not ready to read a book yet. They have a vocabulary of a thousand words, maybe, when they're really little. You know, they have a thousand words they can use, but they know the words no, right? They learn that one about two. No! And they learn, I want it myself what does that say about us psychologically as human beings why do you think every single person that really lives off the back of others is inherently miserable when it really comes down to it because they can't do it themselves and they're not doing it themselves and that three year old that's still inside him is going dude you're wrong you're wrong I'm not putting you down if you're on unemployment. For God's sakes, I've been on unemployment. I'm not putting you down if your family's like, you you can't feed your family right now and you're on government assistance for food stamps. But do you have a plan to get off? I have a shirt that's in our store. Snark shirt. Right? It says, excuse me, I have to get back to work. Somebody has to pay for people like you. The people that are trying, that's not about you. It's the people that quit that piss me off. It's the people that gave up. It's the people that make excuses for why they can't get off. Well, if I earn too much, they'll take it away. They're supposed to take it away. Of course they're supposed to take it away. It's there because you can't right now. Once you can, you don't get it anymore. Well, it's so freaking hard to comprehend about that. But the only job I can find, I'll make the same money as I'm getting for doing nothing right now. 
You know what you're doing right now is not going to lead you to a promotion, a raise, another job, to meet people, to network, to find a way into higher level. I mean, you take it because it's work. Because you can do it yourself. I mean, maybe that's what I should really call today's episode. I want to do it myself. Lessons from a three-year-old. Every time you find yourself, and this doesn't mean you don't take help. This doesn't mean there's not teamwork. This doesn't mean if you're an entrepreneur, you try to run your whole company with nobody being involved but you. Right? There are places where two people are stronger than one. Like a marriage. You don't do a marriage yourself. But when it comes down to something you should be able to do, and someone else is putting in the effort and you don't have to anymore, why? Is it benefiting? If it's really benefiting them, you're giving somebody a job, fine. Of course. <laughs> But if you're living off the efforts of other people, you can't, you have to stop. Not because it's wrong. It is. But not because it's wrong. I mean, the other people are letting you do it. The system is set up so you can. You have to stop doing it because it's going to make your life one of the most miserable experiences you're going to have. And we get one time around on this spaceship Earth. Even if you believe in reincarnation in this body, in this mind, in this spirit, in this time, you get one. So whether you believe you die and you're gone because you're an atheist, you believe you die and you go to heaven or hell because you're of a faith like that, or you believe that you die and come back because you're a Buddhist, no matter what you believe, it all it's all universal. You get once. Now, in this time. In this space-time, you get once. You get one chance to make a difference in the lives of other people. You get one chance to build something that really matters for yourself this time around. Because even if there is another trip, for those that believe that, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same people. It's not going to be the same situation. You're here for a freaking reason, folks. Every single one of you, you're here for a reason. Today, you're listening to me for a reason. Most of the people that come to this show have some interest in disaster preparedness, planning, and things like that. Most of the people, if that's all it is for them, take a little bit and they go on. The 14 to 15,000 people that tune in every single day come back for a reason. They've recognized that something is missing in their lives And something is missing in the lives of those around them. And they want to reclaim it. And it's a difficult, long journey. And they come back over and over and over again to help stay on that path. To help coming up with new ideas. To figure out what to do next. To get answers to questions. To be part of a community. We have a huge community, folks. On the forum of people, I'll tell you what, I know a lot of them, they, don't have, they hardly ever listen to the show. They're finding what they need from their interaction with others. Don't think that hurts my feelings. I'm blessed. The forum is part of what I created. Oh my God, the relationships there are because I did something and I made that happen. And now these people do this on their own and they don't need me. The forum doesn't even need me anymore. The egotist would be like, oh, I want to control it. I want to be responsible. <sighs> No, every single thing that, that, that any of us can create to a point where we've, we've raised it like a child, it can be let go and it does its own thing and it improves the world or improves one person's life is a noble pursuit. You do it and you let go and you do something else. You run your life that way too. That's what it's really all about. It's about the three-year-old in you that constantly goes, hey, hey, stop letting them do this to us. We can do this for ourselves. If we could tie our shoes when we were two and a half, we could run our lives at 35, for God's sakes. When you only had a thousand words in your vocabulary, you knew the words that were the most important. No, and I want to do this myself. You also knew two other words that are so important when you couldn't do it yourself. You didn't want somebody to do it for you. You asked what? Help me. Help me. And as you got a little bit older and you gained a few more words, what did you, would it help me turn into? What do kids say? Show me how. Teach me. Something along those lines. 
You have to think about the fact that when we had such limited, limited words to work with, these were the core of all of us. And the little kid being raised by a family that's been on welfare for three generations, he asks those questions at three years of age, too. It's the same person you are. But unfortunately, they're surrounded by people where they never learn that there is a way to stay that way. You know better. I don't care what your background is. You won't tell me a sob story that I give a damn about. You know, I'm the son of a coal miner from Pennsylvania. And, and at that, a bootleg coal miner. I grew up in a house that was paid off in the Depression, and the cost of that house back then was $1,300. My first job when I came to Texas, I was making $5.90 an hour, and I worked in a warehouse where it was about 120 degrees, packing boxes and unloading trucks. I know what it is to not have much. And I don't know why. Because a lot of the influences of my life were completely counter to I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep doing. You know, if you can get something from the government, take it. It's your money anyway. That's 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 the morals that I was brought up with. Somewhere along the lines, two-year-old Jack Spierko said, no. Thank God I listened to him. And when I was offered ways for people to fix things for me, three-year-old Jack Spirico said, I want to do it myself. Thank God I listened to him. And when I got stuck, the four-year-old said, teach me, help me learn, so I can do it myself. Thank God I listened to him. See, everything we really need to know, we're born with. We're born with this knowledge. It's only society that steals it from us. It's only a society that takes away our right to struggle that takes this away from us. It's only a system that tries to fix every problem that we've ever had that does this to us. Imagine a child that you raised that you never let struggle. Every time you saw them trying to stand for the first time, you went over and picked them up. When you finally got them onto a bicycle, if they ever learned to walk... You left their training wheels on until they were a teenager. If you did take the training wheels off, they would ride the bike, and every time the bike was about to fall over and they might skin a freaking knee, you ran over and grabbed it. When they got when they came home from, from, from school with, a, with a, a math problem they couldn't do, you solved it for them and didn't teach them. You just fixed it. Oh, you shouldn't be suffering. Johnny, it's, it's seven is the answer. Here, just put that on and go back to school. When they took a test, you sat in the seat next to them and gave them, the, you could get away with this somehow, you gave them the answers. If you raised a child that way, at 25, what would you have? Completely helpless human being. Isn't that what our society's trying to do to us? Trying to make everybody equal? Instead of providing equal opportunity. There's nothing wrong with equal opportunity. I believe it's a great idea. And the way you create equal opportunity is you quit screwing with stuff and you leave things alone. You let people sort themselves out. That way, the people that can run the fastest, run the fastest. The people that are the smartest, go the furthest in pursuits of knowledge. The people that are strongest, they go the furthest in pursuits of strength. But if we try to fix everything... We end up in a world where we start celebrating the mundane. This is why we have graduation ceremonies for freaking kindergarten today. I've seen kindergarten graduations where they have caps and gowns. This is the stupidest thing. And if you're part of this, your kids were in it and they kind of like the school and you didn't make waves about it, fine. I'm not putting you down. But if you think this is a good idea, you're screwed up. Oh, it's just fun. They're just kids. No, you're teaching them that... Graduating kindergarten is an accomplishment. It's not an accomplishment to graduate kindergarten. There's no real test to graduate kindergarten. You just go. You color, maybe you learn a few of the ABCs and one, two, threes, and you go to first grade. Then you start to actually really learn. Kindergarten switches on the mind, just tickles it, 
wakes it up, lets it begin to understand. Kindergarten's about, you know what kids learn in kindergarten? How to show up on time and how to follow a schedule. That's the, that's the big purpose of kindergarten. And you teachers can write in and tell me I'm wrong, but that's it. It's to institutionalize the child so that when we start really teaching them in first grade, they know how to come in, sit down, pay attention, right? Quiet time, talking time, raising hands, you know, how to properly go to the bathroom, put the hand up first and ask so you don't disrupt the class, all that other stuff, how to pass papers. For, that's what kindergarten is. And we put the kids in a cap and freaking gown, and then we wonder why we have an entitlement generation We created it. We made this happen. We did this. When we took the scoreboards down for five-year-olds playing soccer and basketball, we created this for ourselves. We can't blame the kid that turns out to be the 20-something today that grew up with that attitude of somebody running over and propping the bike up every time it was going to fall over. You know, it might sound tough, but when I remember I was a kid, I was probably about nine years old, And uh, I had gone to, to Pennsylvania for the uh, summer, like I always did. And I was cutting the grass with my grandfather. I had my shirt off. And he had told me like four times to put my shirt on. And I don't think the shirt would have made any difference with what happened. But I ran over um, a, a wasp nest, a ground wasp, like a mud dauber wasp nest. And one of them came up out of the hole, landed on my chest, and stung me right in the center of my chest. And I smashed it with my hand, and I let go of the lawnmower, and it went off. And I had this dead wasp in my hand, and I had this red welt on my chest that looked like half of an apple. And I was bawling. And I went to my grandfather crying and had it in my hand. He looks down at the wasp, he looks at my chest, and he goes, and I won't use the word, but he used the full word. He said, effin' hurts, don't it. In his very old man crotchety way, effin' hurts, don't it. When you feel better, finish cutting the grass. If he said, oh, Jack, oh, I'm sorry, let's go put some cold water. It wasn't a big deal, really. He let me deal with it. It's probably a lot harsher than I would be with a nine-year-old. But I wouldn't completely coddle them either. You know, I like to believe there's a middle ground between the two. But imagine, do you think I would be who I am today? Do you think I could get on here with you every day? without some of those experiences in my life. You know, without wrecking a motorcycle and being allowed to do it. Skinning myself up, breaking my fingers, and just going, that's the way it is. How safe is it to jump out of airplanes? You know? All of the things that were tough made me who I am, made you who you are. You have struggles in your life, but instead of leaning on them, use them to create power. See, there's a difference between the person that says, ah, oh, you don't understand, I was poor. And the person that says, you know what, I grew up poor and look what I have now. And even if they're still technically poor, as long as they have more, look what I did. That person's going to be wealthy someday. Maybe not wealthy according to Warren Buffett, Or even wealthy according to the guys that play at the country club near your house. Maybe he'll never have that McMansion. He probably doesn't want one. But he'll have wealth. Wealth means that you live your life on your terms at all times. That's what wealth really is. Wealth is how long can you live the way you live now if, that's, if you're where you want to be without somebody else controlling whether or not you get to keep living that way. Or as Buckminster Fuller said in a, in a patent about geodesic domes, hell of a place to put this, wealth is your ability to survive a given day, number of days forward. That's true wealth. That's what prepping is. Prepping is making sure that if something goes wrong, we can keep living the way we choose. It's not hiding in a freaking hole in the ground. I mean, okay, there's a time to go in a hole in the ground if you have a hole. And there's radiation, and it'll protect you. You go in the hole. But you only go in the hole because someday you're going to come back out of it. You don't go in the hole to live there. Human beings are meant to live underground. You know, people think the sun causes skin cancer. The sun 
in many instances, prevents skin cancer because it helps us create vitamin D. You want to see people with skin cancer, take them away from the sun 100%, no solar exposure whatsoever. Sooner or later, they're going to develop different forms of skin cancer because they're going to be vitamin D deficient. They're going to have other health problems. We're not meant to live in a hole in the ground. We're not meant to live in darkness. You know? There's so many things we do that we're not meant to do. Look at the way we're built. Two legs, two hands. Right? We can run. And we run best when we run slow for long distances. We can walk. We have acute vision. We see in color. And we can think. We're meant to move around this planet and shape things. That's what our real purpose is. To learn and to teach. The meaning of life. If you ever wonder what the meaning of life is, education and entertainment. In the words of Richard Bach, we are the otters of the universe. We are here to learn and have fun. We can't have fun if we're being miserable. We can't have fun when we're making excuses. And we can't be powerful when we are weak. Think about that. We cannot be powerful when we are weak. I hear from people that say, but if I buy land, they might take it from me. Come and take it then. You're going to get a fight before you get it. Well, if I if I save money, inflation might, might devalue it. Fine, I'm still going to have something. I'm going to work with the system we have the best way that I can to get the most out of it. I'm not going to live in fear that I might lose something before I gain it. How stupid is that? How many companies are run that way? Uh, we'd like to do this initiative, but it could cross brand leakage, and then one of our competitors could pick up on it and use it for themselves, so we're not going to do it. How many things that could be created never come into existence because people are afraid to just do it? You know how many times I've had people want to pitch me business ideas and they want me to sign an NDA? Like your idea is so valuable that I'm going to run out and steal it tomorrow without you? So get out of here. Go away. I don't even need to talk to you about this. I didn't ask you to come bring this to me. I'm not looking to invest with anybody anyway. Go on. Go find yourself something to do. Go make something with it. Go produce something. Don't have an idea in your head. Produce something. Have something functional. Then people can't take it from you because it's already there. And this is how we live. As a people of 300 and some odd million people in this nation today. We live in fear. We live with excuses. And you don't have time for it, man. You have to understand, what I've been telling you from the beginning is 100% true, and there's no way out of it. And it's uncomfortable sometimes to really think of the full implications of this statement. No one in your life has more influence on your life than you. The first time you hear it, it's not that bad. It's like, yeah, that's kind of empowering, yeah. But when you really think about it and you start looking at all the things you don't like around you, all the things that make you unhappy, all the things that make you afraid, and then you think about that statement in relation to those, you start to be, I don't know about this Jack stuff, man. This guy's, he's, you know, hey, he doesn't really understand my world. I understand your world perfectly. We all live in it together. All of us are bound by gravity to the planet. All of us, at a certain temperature, we're hot. At a certain temperature, we start to become cold. All of us, if we were hit by a car, we're either hurt or dead. All of us shot in the head with a gun are dead. We all bleed if we're cut. If we have little, we suffer. If we have a lot, we can be generous. But we can have a lot and still be miserable. We're all, these are laws. We are, we're not immune to it. I said, these are real laws, like gravity. You drop shit, it falls. That's a law. A law that says, you know, from your homeowners association, says you can't grow Bermuda grass. You have to grow Raleigh St. Augustine. It's not a law. It's a rule. And rules are made to be broken. Laws are fundamentally factual. They are. They can't be broken. You break them, there's a consequence. And not a man-created consequence. Not going to jail or being fined. When you break a law, you get hurt. You don't believe when you drop shit, it falls. So you drop a hammer, it lands on your foot, it freaking hurts. Crying to your mama ain't going to solve the problem now, is it? Those are real laws. Well, the law that you control your own life is a law. When you ignore it, it's like dropping a hammer on your foot. You're going to get hurt. And even if your mama comes to you and says... Oh, John, I feel bad for you. All it does is make the pain worse because now you're focused on it instead of realizing, hey, don't drop the freaking hammer again. This is how we live our lives, and I don't want this for anybody that listens to this show. 
And this is survivalism. Because again, without this, without this fundamentally in your heart, your soul, your spirit, nothing else will work. You can save up a lot of money. You can buy the beautiful farm. You can have the food production and livestock or whatever it is you want. You can have the gold put away. You can have a year's worth of food. You can have a well. You can have solar power. You can live for next to nothing and have everything. But if you don't believe that it's all about you, you'll always be worried about somebody else or something else or somebody taking what you have. That's not empowered living. Empowered living is claiming what's your birthright through action, determination, and fortitude. And if you lose something, you take it back. And you never, 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 ever, for God's sakes, ever, say, I'm not going to go do this because somebody might take it away from me. Those are the words of a coward, and you are not a coward. If you're still listening, after almost an hour of this today, you are not a coward. Don't act like one. Be strong. Teach your children to be strong. Once in a while when they're hurt, let them dust themselves off, cry it out, and get over it and go on. Stop taking our next generation and coddling them to a point of dependence, and they won't be dependent when they grow up. And if somebody did it to you, I'm sorry. Tough shit. It's over. Get over it. Fix it. And every person today, no matter how much you're thinking this doesn't apply to me, There's parts of it in your life, because there's parts of it in my life. And keeping it out, staying out of those antlion pits, is an ongoing day-to-day thing. Every time you feel yourself sliding a little bit into victim mentality, you have to stop that second pause and go, why am I blaming somebody else for this, and what can I do about it? Do that. Sustainability, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, byproducts. Absolute byproducts. Because every time you end up short on something, you'll go, can't blame anybody but myself. How can I prevent this from happening again? Have two instead of one. Gee, we're into survivalism. Wow, see how that works? Right? Get laid off from a job. Don't have any money. Got a bunch of debt. Get a new job. What do I do now? That debt sucked. I got to pay it off. Can't blame anybody else for it. Not having any money sucks. So as soon as the debt's paid off, I'm going to start saving the hell out of money outside of my retirement account, not just inside. So if I lose a job again, now I have cash reserves and no debt. Gee, I'm a survivalist. Son of a bitch. See how it works? Sorry for getting a little profane today, guys. I'm sorry. These are things in my heart. i got to say them the way that I feel them. This is how I came back to my roots. I went through mistakes. I made them. I tried to blame somebody else. The two, three, and four-year-old Jack and me went, No. Do it yourself. Ask someone to teach you. And this was the result. There it is. That's life. That's survivalism. That's self-sufficiency. That's self-reliance. You do it when you were two. You do it when you were three. And you do it when you were four. And you've let life take some portion away from you. Kick life's ass. Take it back. And teach your children the same damn thing. Teach them to be strong. Love them. Hug them when they're hurting, but teach them how to avoid the pain in the future with their actions instead of just giving them compassion for it. Teach them to teach themselves. Never let them let go of the words, no, I don't want this. Let me do it myself. And since I can't right now, teach me how. Those concepts taught to your children scare the living crap out of our establishment. They want drugs. Don't give them what they want. Build what you want. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to build that better life for yourself. If times get tough, or even if they
children just can't pay. There's nobody up there. 